Within the depths of the strip mall of the damned lies an abandoned video store, long since shuttered. Past the muddy lot, empty save for workmen waiting with equipment, beyond the gathering of bureaucrats, stymied in their attempt to end urban blight, a secret society assembles to scrutinize those films rumored to drive their viewers to madness and dissolution. Draw closer, dear listener. Let your trembling ears sup upon the eldritch knowledge of the Cinemania Society. The story so far. The society has gotten bad news. The strip mall of the damned has been condemned and redeveloped. They're going to be turfed out of the warm confines of the restricted room and into the cold embrace of the wide world. But worse than that, hope clean. They resolve to deal with this as adults, which is to say via sheer denial. They eat some hash brownies and put on Ralph Bakshi's Wizards, an animated post-apocalyptic fantasy with a surprising amount of blood and Nazi references, but which evens it all out with perky fairy nipples and hella thick elf thighs. Wizards tells the story of a pair of magical twins born 10 million years after a nuclear apocalypse. The good Avatar and the evil Black Bull spend millennia struggling over the radioactive remains of Earth. Avatar has fairies and elves and shit. Black Wolf has a recreated Nazi Wehrmacht manned by demons and orcs and mutants. Naturally, things go like you might expect, which is to say, swords and arrows of the fairies defeat the tanks and machine guns of the mutants. Until Black Wolf unveils his secret weapon trademark, the Dream Machine, a magically enhanced film projector which shows old Nazi propaganda movies. Black Wolf has also dispatched robot mutant assassins to take out the believers in magic, including Necron 99, who is a red-suited guy from the movie poster. Necron 99, Cax a gnome, an elf, and smack dab in front of Avatar, the president of Montagar. The president's daughter is Princess Eleanor, a fetching slice of FD cheesecake, apprentice to Avatar. Just because sexual exploitation and harassment by a dirty old man is just such a hilarious premise, folks. She vows to go on a quest with Avatar and Weehawk, the fierce but incompetent brother of one of Necron 99's victims. As the society discusses this film, they're hassled by some process servers. But don't worry, the society's six clerk no on them. Not long after the raving bureaucrats flee, they return, reinforced by some workmen and a fleet of bulldozers to force society from its fastness in the restricted room. You can't do this! We have rights! We had no notice. Nobody told us. Sneaking bloody bureaucrats, quizlings, Huguenots! We had three months to do something, anything. You could have filed something. You could have showed up to a city council meeting and made your case. You were sent letter after letter via registered mail, which means we have legal documentation that you were notified. You could have chosen to do anything. You chose to do nothing, and that's a choice too. Much as I hate to give you a brutal reality check, this is on you guys. We reject your reality and assert our own in its stead. If wholesale rejection of reality in favor of fabrication works for the Republican Party, it'll work for us too. Three cheers for making shit up. Pip pip. Hurrah! Pip pip. Hurrah! Pip pip. Hurrah! These fucking guys. Look, guys, I feel for you. Losing your clubhouse sucks. Clubhouse? How Look, we are a secret society doing vital work. Vital, I tell you. Nothing is more important than stamping out Cinemania. Unfortunately, yes, sometimes you also have to do the boring bureaucratic stuff too. It's like brushing your teeth. But like, organizationally brushing your teeth. Okay, whatever. You get what I mean. It's boring, it's not entertaining, but bad stuff happens if you don't do it. And by the way, I'm a fan of cinema, and I've listened to a few episodes of your podcast. But sweet! Oh, that's cool. You mean we've been recording this? It's fun, guys. Really. 
I also have a job to do, and so does this work crew. There are other places you can hold your meetings. Let's get up out of the mud. It's not the end of the world. We beg to differ. You have no idea what's under that building. You shut it down, it'll be like dropping a bomb on the city. Sure. You can go ahead and quote Ghostbusters at me if it'll make you feel better. You're ignoring the worst thing. Knocking this place down will completely destroy our aesthetic. <laughs> we aren't going anywhere, you fascist pigs. Yeah. I'm a city attorney. I'm not... Oink. Oink. Hey, boss. I'm calling a smoke break for my team. <sighs> yeah, go ahead. Shut him down, fellas. <laughs> I've always wanted to say that. Ha! We'll see who rusts first. Yeah, I've seen Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy too. Seen? It's a book, you Philistine! Actually, it was a radio drama first. The book came second, and then the TV show... Actually, and then... it was a graphic novel before it was a hologram, and then it was a... That's what you sound like. You know what I mean. And if you actually did read the book, you'd remember this strategy didn't work for Arthur Dent either. Now, why would you think it's going to work for you? Fair. Can we at least have a few minutes to let it sink in? Besides, we just poured our cocktails. Yeah! 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 yeah. That's a beverage. Yeah, it's going to be much easier for drunk. Oh. You know what? Sure, fine. You have till the cops get here. Now, back to the conclave at hand. Who's going to read the next part of our summary? Well, since I'm the only one who's not stoned out of my gourd, I guess I'll do it. All right, we cut to pixies arming themselves and flying off in clouds of stardust. And then again to a World War I-style trench line occupied by elves and Stalmhelms. Crusty old elf veteran with a titty pipe counsels his young apprentice, Peewittle, who's about to get to his first taste of war. The kid's nervous. The old bastard, smug in the knowledge that Black Wolf's incompetent troops will again break and run, just as they always have. Battle is shortly joined, and we know it must be battle. The funk bassline and waka waka guitar is a dead giveaway. The orcs, goblins, mutants, and disco ball shield wizarding lizardmen advance. None of the elves seem all that terrified by the appearance of hastily rotoscoped tanks and red-eyed SS stormtroopers. Shields, swords, and arrows have apparently been sufficient to win the day in prior engagements. Just before the first volley of arrows is loosed, however, Black Wolf unleashes his secret weapon, trademark. The magically enhanced movie projector that turns the animated backgrounds of the movie into Nazi propaganda films. This overwhelms the senses of the elves in the trenches, and their primitive weapons fall from their nerveless fingers. The ravening hordes of Black Wolf are able to cut down their foes as they stand stupefied. Clearly overcome with cinemania. Indeed. We last see Pee Whittle as he cowers at the bottom of the trench, trembling with shell shock as he watches the lifeblood of his mentor run streaming down the trench wall. And uh, how old were you when you first saw this? Like, ten? Likewise. That explains a lot. <laughs> totally does. Cut to Tower Phallus and Montagar, where Avatar has finished reprogramming the robot mutant Necron 99 for nonviolence, changing his name to Peace. You just have to admire the Montagarian optimism. Avatar has learned from 99 that the secret weapon, trademark, is called a dream machine. Queen Eleanor and Weehawk want to set out to destroy the projector and save the world, but Avatar isn't quite finished yet being a dirty old man. 
He instructs Eleanor to pose on his bed for a couple hours so he can ogle her while he makes up his mind. Some training, right? There's a really weird relationship between these two right from the start. What are you talking about? This reminds me of my relationship with most of my teachers in college. <laughs> and that definitely explains a lot. Yeah, I did well. I did only go to state. Yeah, there's there's definitely uh that this is a joke. Like the the level of uh, exploitation of a very young woman by a very old man. It's like this is supposed to be a joke, everybody. <laughs> we are all laughing at this funny joke. Ha ha. Ha ha ha. Grooming. Do, do we know ha, ha, how old ha, ha. Eleanor is though? I mean, well, she I mean, could be young, but she may not be. She, yeah, I mean, like, who knows? We don't really find out her age. It's never really said. But it's still it's still pretty gross. You know, like, having a 60-year-old man hooked up with, like, a 22-year-old woman is still pretty gross. There's there's a big balance, balance of power differential there. And that's kind of yeah. the thing that makes it worse. She's infantilized, but is she young? That's a, that's a good point. We'll anyway. never know. Weehawk says his goodbye to family and tribe in a series of touching scenes where he's surrounded by lots of expensive to animate people. So it's all done as a far easier slideshow with the same bored sounding voiceover lady from the start. Similarly, Eleanor bids farewell to her buxom nudist friends in their grotto, reminding them that since her father, the president, is dead, she's going to be their queen. How exactly that line of succession works is far from clear. But but as we're talking about people who have not yet mastered the technology of pants, their system of governments makes about as much sense as Naboo. By the time everyone's ready to go, Avatar has the robot assassin fully reprogrammed and ready to join the good guys in their fully righteous quest. Though he does warn the newly named Peace that if he fucks around, he's gonna find out, as Avatar is fully prepared to kill him in ways that will <clears throat> take 20 years to kill ya, and you'll be screaming for death in the first five seconds. The forces of goodness, everyone. At any rate, this showdown between brothers is likely to be a grudge match considering that Avatar won the last time. Avatar has no hesitation in saying, I'm going to brutally torture you for decades or more if you mess with me in any way. I mean, he's supposed to be a lovely peace and love flower fairy kind of a guy, but he really isn't. You know, after his mom died and his brother became like an evil freaking fascist tyrant, I think that kind of wore on him a bit. Well, no, he became a tyrant. He was always evil, but, you know, it's just like your mom dies. Your brother, who you don't like, you know, tries to try challenges you to a duel. You beat him and then he goes slinks off and becomes this like fascist dictator. And meanwhile, he's just like. Yeah, fuck my life. You know, <laughs> there's something to be said there too about like you know determinism. Like, oh yeah, this kid's evil and bad, so we'll you know we'll just let it leave him out in the woods to die. Oh wait, he's torturing rabbits, you know, and then just constantly reminding him how bad he is. He's you know telling him he was born evil. What the hell is this kid gonna do? Turn evil? I don't know. Which is worse, somebody who is evil because they were told from you know literally birth that they're evil, so they stay evil, or somebody who starts good and then starts doing evil shit? Which is worse? <laughs> Well, you know, it was showing that his mother was all, like, sick and bedridden his entire life, really, and, you know, was just kind of left to be a free-range kid, so, you well, know. that's not an excuse. I mean, so That's was, not so an excuse. Avatar. Yeah, but Avatar stayed near his mom and tried to, like, you know help her and amuse her and stuff like that well, there's a lot of reading between the lines there sort of my, my whole point i'm not i'm not trying to be an apologist for black wolf but my, my whole point being kids are going to do what you program them to do if you tell them they're evil from the minute they're born then they're going to be fucking evil they're going to live down to your expectations 
And my point is that hippie free range parenting causes kids to become fascist tyrants. <laughs> it's well it's definitely the it's definitely true that it's not the case that Avatar is totally all good and Black Wolf is totally all bad. There's a little bit of overlap going on here. There's They're no gray area as... with Black Wolf. He is all bad. There is nothing you can see about him that's that you say is good. With Avatar, he's he's a blend. There's a lot of gray there, but there's... Well, I mean they they try to add some shading to Black Wolf later, but it doesn't really work that well as we oh. shall see. Yeah, well, if you add shading to something that's already completely black. Anyway. <laughs> Sing us a song, Avatar urges Eleanor to pass away their long journey. As far as he's concerned, she has all the utility of an iPod with tits. In a musical interlude, one of those tinkly minor key 70s nature girl songs starts playing. No doubt sung by an earnest blonde vegetarian and an Afghan. This, this is accompaniment to scenes of evil forces on the march across the land. Black Wolf's boys have been hard at work. Villages in ruins, prisoners marching along in lines, that kind of thing. In an unintentionally hilarious aside, a child's fairy asks Mommy Fairy what's going on and is informed that there's been a war and their side is lost. The enemy has weapons and technology. We have just love. It's supposed to sound deep and meaningful, but basically she's admitting that militarily, the good guys are all fucked. Flowers and sunshine don't count for much against a mechanized infantry. Oh, what happened to the only technology we need is nature. Well, you know, some kind of technology, and I'm not saying it's nature, is making swords and bows and arrows and breastplates and helmets. And... Oh, yeah. Metallurgy is, is still a technology. Bows and yeah, bows exactly. And manufacturing of tools is still technology. Thank you. Exactly. Yeah, they're fine to use technology when it suits them. They're fine to use the riddle of steel given to them by Krom. <laughs> Crom, Crom, Crom laughs at your god, laughs on from his mountain. <laughs> and if you won't help me, to hell with you. To hell with you. <laughs> well, it's about time we pause for some hard-hitting satire, which says things, has a message. A couple of war pigs are breaking into a church-like structure. They have no idea what it is. It's just weird stuff to them. And I mean, it's literally stuff. The church is a warehouse filled with junk of all eras, which is being collected together reverently. See? That's saying something about the nature of organized religion, isn't it? Get it? They need to capture the priest because, you know, you need God on your side or something. That's a quote, by the way. Get it? It's like satirical on stuff. Satire. Like I said, subtle tea. Yeah, this is the point where the film is absolutely setting out to say, we are saying things in a satirical way that you need to be aware of. And it's really hammering it home. Isn't Batchy uh, Jewish? Yeah, he's a uh, Krimchak. Ah, right. Well. Anyways, the priests turn out to be a couple of diminutive Jewish stereotypes, and the soldiers openly refer to Black Wolf as their Fuhrer at this point. Yikes. They want the priests to take all these annoying prisoners off their hands, because they can't be arsed to feed them or house them or any of that weak-ass shit. Before answering, the priests need to do their sunset prayers, and they launch into a slapstick vaudeville routine which parodies Catholicism, Judaism, and the Marx Brothers in equal measure. It's all getting very meaningful and saying important things. Anyway, after five hours of this, the soldiers get bored and machine gun everyone, then blow up the church put themselves in it. There's a capital M message in here. Somewhere. Was anyone else a little bit uncomfortable at this point? This was, this was a moment in a film where I was a little bit disturbed, maybe. Yeah, it, it did not. This this did not feel good. 
did not age well. Yeah, no. yeah, it's it's one of those things where I'm not sure if you're cringing because the material is bad or cringing because it's not it's completely unsubtle. But yeah, they felt the same way about the scene with the two uh, cops in the synagogue and Fritz the cat. It's a really similar emotional feel of of deep cringe. Yeah, ickiness. Well, in his clockwork nightmare fortress, Black Wolf visits his girlfriend who appeared out of nowhere and asked if she will be giving birth soon, which is explained never. The intention is to soften Black Wolf a bit. The thing is, he just wants to make a better world for his people outside of the radioactive mutants on they live in. See, he just needs Liebenstrom. He's simply annexing lands that are necessary for the expansion of his nationalistic rabble of... Oh boy, let's not dive into that one too deeply. Yeah, talk about uncomfortable. Yeah. 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 I mentioned I'm also Polish. But like, like I was saying before, this is where they're trying to add some shades of gray to Black Wolf. I just want to make the world better for my people in crazy fascistic ways. But it doesn't really come across as making him in any way less of a bad guy. Yeah. I don't think anybody feels for Nazis when they chant blood and soil. No. They, uh, they, they misfired a little bit there. Yeah. <laughs> Black Wolf says he intends to keep pumping kids into his girlfriend until she bears him a non-mutant son. And seeing as he himself is mutant without forearm meats, and she's a blue-skinned elf chick, well, good luck with that. Has anyone missed the point about how much of a villain Black Wolf is? They just won't go. I swear. I've dealt with toddlers who were better behaved. All right. You heard the lady ask. Now I'm telling you, it's time to leave, or else. Last chance, folks. Please make good choices. Never made a good choice in their lives. Okay, get that paddy wagon open. I'm placing you all under arrest. Gentlemen, this is democracy manifest. Would you have a look at that headlock here? Get your hand off my penis. God damn it. Oh, can't you say Clark Nova on the... I, I would, but after that last bump of bug powder I gave him, oh, he's going to be on the nod. Ow! Ooh, 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 do it again. Ooh, ooh. Ah, a little harder. What about the jumps? Ah, too tight, you fascist. Uh, they're, they're having <clears throat> a literary discussion group, <clears throat> remember? Ah. Ow, ow, go, quit, quit shoving. Hey, careful, man. There's a beverage involved here. Hey, ow. Ah. It's in the back of the van. Do you, do you think the bar is going to be okay? Well, if by okay you mean drunk dry by knuckle draggers, then yes, I think it'll be okay. At least they didn't pepper spray us. Speak for yourself. They sent me to Flavortown. Oh, it burns with the power of a million tacos. What do we do now? We continue with the conclave. Obviously. Well, all right then.
Anyway, by this point, Avatar and his crew have made it beyond the standard fantasy glade and into the generic mountains beyond, where the dreaded mountain fairies live. Even Peace, who has automatic weapons and is an invincible robot assassin, thinks they should just go around. Anyway, Avatar is one of the whole. Fuck that, we're going right through persuasion. Apparently, elves and fairies hate each other and play pranks a lot. It's getting really difficult to take this mission of political violence seriously, guys. Now, this is actually a, a pretty decent sort of, I don't know if I say satire, but th this is some good subtext here talking about, like, if only the left would unite, they could defeat the fucking fascists, you know, and all of the leftist infighting circular firing squad is what's keeping us from being able to beat them. This, this I think, was actually a good piece of subtext here, but unfortunately, it's glossed right over and sped right past in favor of more dick jokes. Well, you know, you gotta have dick jokes. There's some cringe-worthy fairy pranking involving lots of good cheer and laughter, but Weehawk isn't impressed and wants to stab someone. Avatar doesn't care until he's mildly inconvenienced, at which point he loses all patience and literally summons the forces of darkness. The mountain fairies get the message that they're about to get curb stomped by Cthulhu and offer to make amends with a feast. Chief fairy among them is played by none other than Mark Hamill. Yay! Woo. It's actual Mark Hamill. To my knowledge, this is actually the first time Mark Hamill does uh, voice acting, like actually does an animated character voice. Well, the preamble to the Joker. Things get very confusing here because it would have been too difficult to properly animate what's going on. Weehawk notices Peace has wandered off and raises the alarm, and suddenly they all come under fire from persons unseen. Fairy King Mark Hamill is immediately shot and leaves the proceedings, considering he had to say lines like, the Knights of Stardust with a straight face. He did pretty well. Eleanor is captured and taken away, and the others pursue her into the very lair of the mountain fairies. Weehawk accidentally falls off a rock ledge into an easily animated void, where there's a ridiculously prolonged sequence where he does battle with an even easier animated invisible creature, stalking him off screen. When we finally see the beast, it's just your basic blobby monster with disco ball eyes. Whatever. Luckily, Peace turns up to gun it down and save the day. Don't worry. This is not explained. Nor is it explained why the monster spontaneously combusts after it keels over and dies. Why does this thing burst into flame? Magic. Put in some steam, put in some steam over there with a bit of fire. No need for anything else. Just, we'll get through it with some steam, all right? Call it an invisible beast. Yeah, yeah, more <laughs> of the, the tinted stock footage of dry ice clouds. I wonder what their dry ice budget was like on this film. <laughs> probably not very high since they were probably just using stock footage, but we'll see, I don't know. <laughs> Meanwhile, the mountain fairies are dancing around their prisoner. Eleanor is propped up like King Kong on display and they seem to blame her for the death of Mark Hamill. To be fair, it's totally unclear what happened here. They call her Traitor and she replies that she is not a Traitor. In short order, Eleanor is sick of all this mountain fairy shit and unleashes her true power. Now, there's no easy way to say this, but it seems that she can project violet force beams from her vulva. Let's just leave it at that. Apparently, <laughs> this is a demonstration of full fairy powers, and even she wasn't aware she could do it yet. Eleanor tries it again, and this time her magical lady garden transforms a statue into a wild beast, which begins to menace her. Ain't that how it always goes, ladies? <laughs> Where to begin with this? Yeah. I mean, she just sort of anyway. does a, a pelvic thrust and fires laser beams from her groin. What can you say? <laughs> That's uh, some serious. That in real life, ladies. That's some serious training she was getting from Avatar there, apparently. <laughs> oh, oh, those are some kegels. <laughs> <laughs> 
Do your kegels. At this point, Avatar arrives and grandly announces that he can't really do anything about the situation. He explains to the presumably very new Mountain Fairy King that it was in fact more Black Wolf's assassins who did all the shooting before. We just couldn't see them because that would have been a real bitch to animate. Avatar just wants to take the girl and be on his way to stop another Holocaust. That's how he describes it. Yeah, so we're, we've got a full-on Holocaust happening here now. Uh, Subtlety be damned. It, it's confusing at this point because Mark Hamill clearly and that is the, the king of the fairies. He gets shot and then immediately there's a new king. So is this just a very, <laughs> very efficient line of succession here? Better than, you know, president leads to princess. I don't know. Yeah, well, and he's much younger than the than the new king, too. So that, you know, also is kind of strange. Maybe that's why they don't like the mountain fairies. The mountain fairies got their shit together. They know what's up. Again, a weirdly directed and very confusing sequence of events occurs. Black Wolf appears for a fraction of a second to announce that Avatar is lying. Someone shoots Avatar in the arm with an arrow and everyone is screaming. The king decides that this whole thing is a great big mess. The mountain fairies are going to Switzerland out this whole shooting match and help no one. Avatar and Eleanor are instantly teleported into a snowy wasteland. Because the snow is super easy to draw. Avatar magics a poncho for Eleanor, but no footwear for either of them because I guess 10 million years in the future, frostbite is nothing. Two wander past a few 70s prog rock album covers, and soon it starts to snow. No need to worry, the snow effect is expensive and won't be there long. Yeah, it's just like, we're done with this scene, let's move somewhere else. Magical teleportation. Uh, you know, it's funny, I hadn't thought about it, but yeah, you're right. Uh, the uh, the uh, Winter Wonderland is pretty easy to animate. Let me tell you, there's two things that are easy to draw. A lot of snow and a lot of sand. Those are the easy <laughs> things. Everything else is hard. <laughs> Suddenly, riders are coming. You can tell because someone is banging coconuts together in the distance. We're sure that they're all around, just, just off screen. Fortunately, it turns out to be Peace and Weehawk. What took you so long? Avatar asks. Peace says nothing, because he never explains anything at all. When he does talk, he sounds like you know, somebody who has uh, suffered a severe concussion. Yeah, yeah. He, just, he just shows up and does things and refuses to explain and then wanders off. Why they take him is a, a mystery to me. I mean, he's the only one with a gun. That is a fair point. point. Yeah, then we might actually have to see Avatar with a submachine gun, which would actually be mm -hmm. kind of cool. Citadel Miniatures must have gotten the idea. And they're just a Wizard like... with a submachine gun, are you insane? That's stupid. <laughs> no one would ever come up with that idea. They get around the no the no technology thing by making someone else use the technology for them. Hey. It's like, like Amish who have people driving cars for them. You have my bow and my sword and my SMG. You know what? Keep the bow. Keep the sword. Those are good. I'll take the dude with the SMG. Exactly. <laughs> now we're back into slideshow vision again as the incredibly bored narrator, presumably between bong hits and entire teacups of ketamine, boredly explains that the next part of the journey was through amazing and fantastic lands filled with wondrous vistas and amazing creatures, which would have been incredibly difficult to draw. They even had a run-in with bikini-clad angry giantesses who threw boulders around. It was super creative and a true visual feast. We are ponderously informed in the voiceover. At least we got a couple of those monochrome still illustrations. Yeah, uh, they, they really go into how amazing all the next bit is. And you can't see any of it, but take our word for it, some really amazing shit happened. I wanted to see the bikini-clad giantesses, but no. You can see a slideshow and like it, shut up. Yes, <laughs> by Snoo Snoo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
well, you know, we don't get to see it, but it's in the past, and past is prologue. Oh my god. <laughs> Finally, the group arrives in the desert. Second easiest thing to draw after snow. Yeah. And, and are suddenly surrounded by boisterous freedom fighter type guys, led by a boisterous Brian Bless type fellow who's delighted to see Avatar again. This general guy has ambushed a patrol, stolen a bunch of weapons, raised an army, and basically done all the important stuff to prepare for a final battle in two days' time. All off screen! All right. Ride's over. Let's go. You leave me alone, or I'll shout you dead! I'll let me shout you dead! I'll shout! I'll shout! <laughs> Why do you shout like that inside the van, you complete and total beland? Wait, what did you just call me? A beland? It's pronounced beland. Not the way uh, uh, I pr pronounce it. <clears throat> twat. Uh, actually, that's pronounced twat. All right, enough. Out. What if I don't want to? Yeah, pendejo, what then? Don't make me tase you, bro. Okay, then. We're not fighting you on that. All right, training. Yep. This, this way to booking. <laughs> Don't worry. We're going to take real good care of you guys. <laughs> I don't think that he meant he is going to take that care What have you guys gotten me into? Why? Why did I get stuck with you? Oh, Lord. The Cinemania Society was written, produced, and performed by Andrea Palladino, Andre Luke Martinez, Andy Slack, Zachariah Burks, Hope Bravo, Daniel Scribner, and Ethan Ireland. Featuring the voice talents of Georgia McKenzie and Chris Laird. Produced, mixed, and mastered by Ethan Ireland and Andy Slack. Graphic design by Andy Slack. Music by Carl Casey at White Bad Audio. Visit our website at thecinemaniasociety.podbean.com. We'd like to hear what our listeners think, so if you have feedback about our show, suggestions for movies you'd like us to review in Season 2, just want to say hi or leave snarky comments, you can check out our social media feeds. We have a Facebook group. We're on Twitter at TCS underscore Cinemania. And you can join our subreddit at r slash the Cinemania Society. If you really liked what you heard, you can visit us on Ko-Fi and throw us a few bones. We love to make fun stuff for folks, but maintaining a podcast sure isn't free. Anything and everything helps. The Cinemania Society is a production of the Cinemania Society, LLC.